Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2, read verse, uh, first 13 verses there, and then we'll be coming back uh, to comment about that a little bit later in, uh, in the message. The book of Acts chapter 2, speaking today on the subject, the modern tongues movement, and reading here in the book of Acts, the first place, first time that that took place. Reading through verse 13 now, beginning at verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of the rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when, the, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these, speak, uh, these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocked, saying, these men are full of new wine. I'll stop there for this time. I want to say in beginning the message this morning, and this, by the way, this morning, is really just an introduction to uh, the entire message on the tongues movement. I do urge you to be here this evening at 6 o'clock. Now, because what will happen is this. I do not have the time this morning to make all of the applications for these scriptures that I'm going to use. So this morning I'm going to present the bulk of the information from the biblical side of the thing concerning the tongues movement. Tonight we will look at the tongues movement that we have today in light of those scriptures that we have, been, we have this morning. And that's the only way I know how to do this, so I trust you'll bear with me because this subject is not a subject that you want to treat lightly. I realize as I stand before you this morning and as this is being recorded in this cassette tape and will be here no doubt when I'm dead and in heaven, I want to make the thing very, very clear that I do fully appreciate the fact of speaking out on a subject like this and what's involved. Now, to attribute the works of the devil to the Holy Spirit, saying that the things that are done of the Holy Spirit are actually the works of the devil, in the Bible this was the unpardonable sin. I'm not going to preach about the unpardonable sin, but I do want you to rest assured that the things that I'm going to say are not just being said flippantly or without any study, because it is a tremendously serious thing to say if indeed the modern tongues movement, if it is indeed of the Holy Spirit, and for me to bring the conclusions I will today, it will be a tremendously serious thing if I were to be wrong on this. I assure you that I have the Word of God, and I believe that these things that I'm going to say are true. Notice in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 now, I want to read two or three verses of Scripture, 
and then we will look at this thing together today. Book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, John writes here to the Christians, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. Turn back there, please, and note as I read that. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, and also verse 24. The book of Matthew, chapter 24, and verse 11. Note here as I read these two verses, verse 11 and verse 24. The Bible says, Matthew 24 and 11, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, you've noted, and I trust you can keep in mind these scriptures that I've just read. John tells us, believe not every spirit. So when someone comes along and they say, well, you must believe in the modern day tongue movement, I'm reminded that the Bible tells me not to believe every spirit just because somebody says that I ought to. Now, it's important that we rightly search the Word of God so that we'll be able to rightly divide the message that we have here. First Timothy again. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. I believe with all my heart that we now live in the latter times. Therefore, I conclude that there will be those who will depart from the faith, and they will be in our own lifetimes. I've seen them, and we will continue to see them. They shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. What kind of spirits? These are demonic spirits. That's what they are. And doctrines of devils. So when someone comes along and says, Hey, you've got to believe in the modern tongue movement. If you don't, you may commit the unpardonable sin. I say to them, You must realize that I have a responsibility to the word of God to rightly divide the word of truth. Let me say something about the modern day tongue movement. Keep this in mind. The modern day tongue movement flourishes in church where the Bible is not preached. That's where it grows. Roman Catholics are grabbing now, I understand. And they say they're speaking in tongues. And they say that in their private devotion, they are now able to speak in tongues. And they say, oh, isn't it great? Is it? I have a right to ask. Is it real? Others, the Episcopalians, grasping at this thing. And they say, isn't it wonderful? Tonight... I will tell you and, and relate to you how the thing got started about the turn of the century, about 1900, and we'll read to you some information that I have concerning the thing. But we have a right to ask, is it real? And do not let anybody put you down as being unspiritual because you ask somebody, is this thing real? If they say you have no right to ask, that's say, why not? Why not? In the end time, there would be false Christ arise. 
In the end time, there would be false spirits come forth, and people would give themselves over to these things. And I believe, as I say, that we live in the end time. Keep it in mind where the word of God is preached. By the way, the tongue movement is invading all the major denominations today. The tongues movement is invading Baptist churches. But without exception, you know who falls for it, are the people who have not really been grounded in the word of God. People who are looking for an experience rather than the factual information of the Bible. They're the ones that fall for it. And they fall for it. And across America today, it's happening just like that. Anytime doctrine is put down and experience is brought up, says, oh, forget about doctrine. Let's just have a great time. You better watch out because you can get in trouble. I've been in services where people said they spoke in tongues. As a boy growing up, I attended services like that. I remember that I attended one soon after I was saved and was the last one that I ever attended. My mother went with me. It was not a Baptist church, and we went into the service. And I was a young Christian, but God gave me spiritual discernment. You know, that's what the Bible says. We are to discern to find out if it be real. And I declared in the service there, they began to sing, and the Bible was forgotten. It was laid over on the side. And the preacher himself, he took symbols in his hand, and he began to bang those things together again and again and again and again. And those symbols were banged together. The Bible's over in the corner. First thing you know, one began to shout here, one there. And the first thing I know, it was just a pandemonium. And people saying they were speaking in tongues, disobeying the very command of the Word of God is that if you actually do, you must have an interpreter or keep your mouth shut in the services. And that's what he says. We'll look at that in a moment. But I never will forget that. I told my mother as a young Christian, I said, Mom, let's get out of this place. And we did. Why? The Word of God was laid aside. In the end time, people will chase after any sort of physical experience. They're doing it today across America and around the world. They're looking for only an experience, a feel-good experience. I'll, I'll deal with this tonight some more, but the Jesus crowd, they are really up on this thing of speaking in tongues. They are really for it. And they say, turn off drugs and turn on to Jesus. People are getting a psychological high in speaking in tongues that's equivalent to a drug trip. And they're getting it from where? Let's look into the Word of God and see. Let's see if it's of God or if indeed it is actually a seducing spirit that the Bible says will arise in these end times in which we live. Let's have a definition of two terms and then I go on this morning. The first ter term is glossiolia. This simply means tongues or languages. It is the Greek word, glossé, which is translated tongue in the Bible. And so we hear today of the tongues movement, and many times it's called glossiolia. Then we also hear of a charismatic experience. This term means a gift of power from the Holy Spirit. So they speak about a charismatic phenomenon. That is, that the Holy Spirit today moves as he did back there 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. Now, let me say this today. God can do anything he wants to today just the same as he did at any other age that he wanted to do. I am not saying today that God could not do this if he wanted to do it. 
I am not saying, I'm saying tell, tell you today that if God wanted to, he could set this building downtown on Fountain Square. He could do it if he wanted to do, to do that. But God today is not moving in this way because we have a complete revelation. We have the word of God. And so today the Lord is not moving in that way. This is not a question as to whether or not God could today perform and give the gifts of tongues. That is not the question being considered. Because I assure you, if God wanted to, he could. I'm just telling you that it is not his plan for this time that this thing be done. It was in the book of Acts. I just read it to you. I do not deny that it happened then. I do deny that it is happening today. At least all the evidence that I've been able to accumulate on it suggests to me very strongly that this is the way it is. It was there, but it is not being done today. Now, the tongues here we read about in Pentecost, and I want to read one verse over here in Joel. Peter said directly that it was a fulfillment of Joel 2.28. Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Now, in the book of Acts again, look there, and you can, hold, you can stay there in the book of Acts for a while now, because we'll be looking at these verses. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter says directly that this is what happened. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter says, this is that which had already been spoken by the prophet Joel. So he sets the record straight. He said this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Now today, to say that Joel's prophecy didn't fulfill today is a misnomer. Peter said it was fulfilled then. Let's look then at verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost was the time that came after the Passover. The Passover first came, and then 40 days after that, the time of Pentecost came. And this was the time shortly after this time, or before this time, Jesus had already ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 tells about that. What took place on this day? Look at verse 2. And suddenly there was a rushing from heaven, sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. That's what happened. And, they were, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what took place? Well, first of all, this wind is an emblem of the Spirit. So says Ezekiel 37, 9 and John 3, 8. Cloven tongues like as a fire, burning energy then, descended upon the church. Individual fire tongues came and sat upon each individual. The Spirit caused them to be able to speak in other tongues or in other languages. The word translated tongue here is simply the word language. Now, I'll show you as we go on about this thing. The tongues that they were able to speak in were the language. And, and uh, the writer of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us plainly that these people were from all these different places and gives the nations that they came from, which suggests to us that they spoke in all different languages. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now notice here, why was this given? It was given to reach 
these people with the gospel. What better way for the gospel to spread into Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth than at this time when all of these people came together at Jerusalem that they'd be able to be preached to in their own tongue and we find in Acts chapter 2 3,000 of them got saved and they all heard the word of God in their own language. I heard a fellow preach the other day, well, I heard him on tape, and he said that he had preached somewhere uh, in Africa, he preached, and there he, four tribes had gathered together with four different languages. And he preached, and he'd have four interpreters for each one of those tongues that would, uh, that would take place. One of them would interpret for one group. He said it took him an hour to preach 15 minutes worth of sermon. And one of them would interpret for the other group, and he said by the time all, all four of them had interpreted, he forgot what he said, you know. But um, had to have an interpreter for those tongues or those languages that the people were accustomed to. Think about how easy it would be today if people going to the foreign field would not have to learn these languages. Why, think about how easy it had been for Ed and Connie when they got down there in Brazil not to have had to spend a year learning Portuguese. If the Spirit is going to give those things today, why doesn't he give them like that? The purpose then for the spreading, for the tongues given here was to effectually evangelize all of those who were gathered together at that point. Jews were gathered then. Notice in verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Why? Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Well, isn't that an amazing thing? 3,000 people got saved. How many thousands were there? Multiplied. Thousands of people were there on that day. And every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled. Why, can you imagine this? Well, of course they marveled. Saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? Well, they said, Here, we are hearing the language, the Mede, the fellows from the Medes, uh, the country of Media said, We are hearing this in our own tongue. The Elamites said, We are hearing this in our own language. The people from Mesopotamia said, We are hearing this in our own language. And they said, Why, why it's something. Wonderful thing. They said, Uh... Are not all of these Galileans? They haven't learned our language, and yet they're speaking to us in our own tongue. I'm telling you this morning, this was a miracle of the first class degree here. This indeed happened, and it surely did, just like the Word of God says here, and they began to speak, and everybody heard in their own tongue. Notice down verse 8. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now you'll notice he's talking about his own language. Because just skipping on down here, we'll find the word language is used here. As I, and I'll read along as we go. You'll notice that. In verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and here it tells about all the different people here, all the way down through verse 11, we do hear them speak in our own tongue. In the center column reference, it says language or languages. The wonderful works of God. What did they hear? They heard the gospel, the wonderful works of God. They heard how that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15. They heard from, first, uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 17 through 23, about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's what they heard. They heard the wonderful works, the mighty works of God. And that's what they heard. Now you'll notice then, I want to read verse uh, 12 here, too. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? What does all this mean? They all heard them speak in their own tongue. 
Now, I want to put two things in here at this point. First of all, and I've mentioned it just a moment ago, why was the tongues given at this time? First of all, to effectually evangelize those who gathered there. That was the reason for it. You can see it plainly here from this context. That was why tongues was given. Secondly, to accredit or to confirm the word of God. Those two reasons. Now, why? Think about how wonderful it would be. God wants to get the attention of the world. So what does he do? Everybody comes up here. What better way? What better way could the Holy Spirit have devised to use to get the gospel out than that everybody heard in their own language? This is a reverse of the Tower of Babel. That's the Tower of Babel. The languages were confused. This is that, exactly the reverse of that. Here the languages are all made plain to all of those who had gathered there in that place. Notice over in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 20. Hold your place in Luke and Acts 2. Now, again, I want to tell you that uh, tonight we'll, we'll be drawing all the conclusions from these things. The book of Luke, uh, the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 20. And notice here as I read the last verse in the book of Mark. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Look, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now, what signs follow? All right. The apostle Paul was preaching one night. Eutychus, sitting up there, went to sleep. And you all going to sleep in church? Well, I don't hope that happens to you. At any rate, Eutychus fell out of his pew and died. He's sitting up in the window, and he died. And Paul went out and raised him from the dead. Why single out one gift of the Spirit given in the book of Acts from all the rest. Think with me. Why single it out? Why not believe as surely that the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues today? If you're going to believe that, why not believe assuredly that the Holy Spirit also will use you to raise the dead? They did that. Oh, there are people that, uh, that believe, and, and you hear them on the radio, uh, about uh, sending handkerchiefs that touch their body just like Paul did. And they send them out there and some poor, unlearned people, unlearned, unskilled in the word of God, swallow that stuff and, and, uh, and they believe that it's going to help them and all like that. Well, I'll tell you, they're going to get their judgment someday, the fellows that deceive people. But what about the people that are, that are deceived? We have no right to be deceived. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It'll make you free of these hucksters that come along that want to rob you of your faith. Now, and uh, there are many, many signs. I think there were 16 of them all together that followed those that believed. Why single out just one? I'm going to tell you why that just one is singled out as we go along, either this morning or tonight. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, this was the beginning of this fulfillment, but ye shall receive power. That was the beginning of it. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They would receive power. So two things then. The gift of the tongue was to effectually evangelize those who had gathered. And you'll notice now, as we go along with this, that the so-called gift of the tongues today is not used to evangelize anybody. That's why Paul got after him in the book of in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 14, and we're going to deal with that this morning too if we get to it. Now notice, they were charged with being drunken, verse 13, verse 15, and, and uh, Acts 2, uh, Peter says, no, we're not drunk. It's just uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. 
It's just the third hour. Of course, we're not drunk. It's not the time that people would get drunk. And then in verse uh, 14 through verse 16, and Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now he's last days that Joel talked about. Not the last days in which we live, you see, but the last days concerning the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my house handsmaiden I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is taken directly from over there in the book of, of, jo of Joel. Now, Peter told them then that this was fulfilled prophecy, that this would happen, and it did happen, and you can read the, next, the rest of the chapter 2, and you'll find that 3,000 people believe this message. And after they believed, they did what they should do. They followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And then they walked and they continued, Acts 2.41. And the other verses tell us that they continued in the things of God. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will see a paramount case of a church abusing the gift of tongues. Abusing the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Notice here, verse 14, verse 1 and 2. Now tonight we'll look at verse chapter 13 for a little while and show how certain things will be ceasing. Follow after charity, that is love, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. All right, if you're going to put a premium on something, put a premium on prophesying. There's two types. The, the word prophecy is used in two ways in the Bible. First of all, the word prophecy is used to tell something aforehand. Like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53 of the coming of Jesus. That's prophecy. Second, the way the word prophecy is used is in proclaiming the word of God. I am prophesying this morning then in that respect. That is preaching the gospel and telling what God said. Now, verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue or unknown language speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. All right, now he's saying this gift then is was used there in the local church. It was a mystery. God alone understood it, and it didn't do anybody any good. Contrast 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, people were saved as a result of this. Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the church got in a mess. This church was not a very spiritual church. You can read about it. They got drunk at the Lord's Supper. That's not very spiritual. And uh, this, this church, if this church were around us today, we would say, boy, that's sure a very, very weak church. That didn't keep them from being a church because of those things. But Paul chided them on these gifts. Now look, as we go on here, I want you to see that. The purpose then was to evangelize. They were using this gift in the church and the gift was not given to be used in the church. It was given for the purpose of evangelizing, getting folks saved. Glossolalia, then, was not to be used for self-edification. Look at verse 3 and 4. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now, our missionaries come along. 
and they get up here, many do that, I'm glad they do, they'll give us generally John 3, 16 uh, in uh, uh, Portuguese, Korean, or some language. It doesn't do us one bit of good. Suppose they preach the whole sermon in that language. You wouldn't learn anything from it, and I wouldn't either. You wouldn't know how to say amen or when to say amen. You wouldn't know what was going on. So he is condemning that way of doing it. So our missionaries, when they come and use a little bit of that, they always tell us, now that means this, and they interpret just like the Bible says. They speak to us in an unknown language. Now, if I could speak French, what good would it do you this morning if I preached this sermon to you in French? Now, I know some of you high school students, you say, man, I love that. I, I study that stuff, I know it. Well, you'd be, you'd be in a minority. But if I spoke to you Russian this morning, if I could and I can't, then if I could, I wouldn't. And if I did do that, you wouldn't be profited. When I'd say to you in Russia, turn to 1 Corinthians 14, you'd say, whir, 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 whir. You'd ask your neighbor, where is that? He'd say, I don't know where it is. How am I supposed to know? You know. Why the preacher's preaching an unknown tongue, and I don't know nothing. Let's go home and eat. Why not? It wouldn't do you any good to be here if I were speaking an unknown tongue. Now, let me say this. Go along here. A lot of the stuff that supposedly is an unknown tongue, it's unknown, all right, because it, nobody knows it, not even God. I mean, it's no language at all. You get that? A lot of this business, people say that's an unknown tongue. It isn't. A bunch of linguists, world-renowned linguists, that knew languages from top to bottom. It was their field. They took a tape recording of a, a tongue service. They sat down, those men did, those learned men and uh, linguists. They sat down and they played that tape recording and they could not relate that, that gibberish on there to any language in the world, anywhere. And the tongues people come along and say, yeah, they recognize these people that know what they're doing. They say, yes, but maybe that's a dialect uh, way over here in the back part of Africa and all like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's something like that. You all just don't know. If it's so far removed, why use it? Why not just speak in English? Let me tell you something about the tongues movement. People that claim to have the tongues, they believe they're more spiritual than some of you that don't. That's not why the tongues movement was given, show how spiritual you were. That has nothing to do with it. They say, pray for the giving of the tongue. The Bible said nothing about praying for the giving of the tongue. Somebody says, you've received the second work of grace. You have received the Holy Spirit. My Bible tells me when you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit comes to tabernacle in your life, to dwell there. You may grieve the Spirit. No, he's there. He's inside. He comes. When you get saved. Well, let's go on. Verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. Look what he says. I would that you all spake with tongues. And Paul, what are you talking about? Look at this. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth and he that speaketh with tongues, except ye he interpreted, that the church may receive edified. He's saying, well, now, if you're going to insist on doing that, who's doing the interpreting for you? Who's telling the people what you're saying? Now, look at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. What good am I going to do to you if I come preaching to you in a tongue you don't understand anything about? It may have showed how spiritual Paul was, but the people would learn nothing from him. Tongues in the church would and did cause confusion and divisions. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7. 
and every, even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harp? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? We had uh, in the service, we had the calls of the trumpet, and we knew what they were. You men that were in service, you knew what they were. Somebody got up there and he played 14 bars of Bach. You would know what to do. He got up there and he played way down upon the Swanee River. You wouldn't know what to do because that didn't mean anything. But he played certain things in certain ways and, brother, you knew what to do and when to do it. And suppose you just lie out in your tent, a tent there and, and he's played the get-up thing. I forget how it goes, but he's played the get-up thing. And you're supposed to get up. And you can, he comes over and says, hey, what are you doing in the tent? Nobody told me to get up. Nobody told you to get up. Didn't you hear it? We just blew it over the trumpet. In other words, you would be accountable. The trumpet had to give the certain sound. Now he's saying, you get up there, and trumpet give an uncertain sound. Who's going to know what to do? Confusion. I've seen rank confusion in churches. I like to say, I, I, from the time that I've, soon after I was saved, I realized better than a fool with that, and I don't go to it at all. But I did. I did as a child. And I remember, rank confusion. Rank, total confusion. And I will go a little bit farther. Some people got carried away in speaking tongues and shouting. There were some things that went on in the church service rather obscene, folks. Ladies did not become very modest in their desire to worship God. Now you say, man, you ought not condemn, condemn people worse than God. The Bible says, let everything be done decently in order. Let's do it that way. Look now. So likewise ye accept, ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. See? How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. I've heard, I've heard smart preachers preach that I didn't speak in the air to me because I didn't know what he's talking about, you know. They use words I didn't know anything about. You probably have too. But uh, we need to speak so folks know what we're saying. Verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. There are languages all over the world. They have their own proper place to that proper tribe, to that proper people, and they know what you're talking about and you don't. Verse 11. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Why? I won't know what he's saying. He won't know what I'm saying. Tongues, then, in the church would, would and did cause confusion. They did a church at Corinth. Glossolalia was not to be used in the church where there was no language barrier. It was not to be used. Somebody gets up and speaks in tongues around here, you're going to get ushered to the door by the ushers. I'll tell you that right now. Because we're not going to, we're not going to foul up a perfectly good service where we can feast on the Word of God while you show off. Look. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. They said, you want to really get excited about something? Then get excited about being able to say something to the church to edify. The word edify means to build up. Say something to the church that will build them up. The message I'm preaching to you today in these services, when someone comes along with a tongue movement, this message should edify you and build you up, and you'll be able to say with tenderness and with kindness, not in a mean way. You'll be able to say, well, look, let's look at what God says here in the Bible. Let's, let's get to the bottom of the tongues, and you'll be able to help them. Now, in verse 13... Here is what I call concession without compromise. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. All right? Paul says, if you will be to speak an unknown tongue, pray that you might interpret. How can Paul say that? Concession without compromise. Look over Mark chapter 10, verse 5, real fast. I'll read that verse to you. 
Jesus uses an illustration of compromise, concession without compromising. Mark chapter 10, verse 5, he says this, And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your hearts he wrote you this precept. That is, this precept that was written concerning divorce. Jesus is saying that he did this because of the hardness of your heart, not because it was better for you. So Paul is telling the people here, he said, All right, if you will be to do this, I'm going to give you a concession here, but there's a few things you must do if you're going to do this the right way. Praying and singing another language did not help the church. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen? At thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. How's anybody going to say amen to what you say if you speak to them in an unknown tongue and if you pray in an unknown tongue, how are they going to know what's going to be said? How can they say amen? You know, I see in here, by the way, just throw this in on the side, that when the preacher does preach the right thing and you get enthused about it in the spirit, you may say amen. And you can go ahead and say that because that's all right. That's what he said right here, wasn't it? Now look, tongues are a sign unto the unbelievers. Verse 18 through verse 22. The Bible says here, I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Now, Paul did have the master of languages, but I think he's saying more than that. I think that Paul had this special ability that the Holy Spirit gave him. Our missionaries today do not have that. They have to learn their language. I'll tell you what happened. Soon after 1900, when this thing really got rolling here in America, some missionaries, they followed after belief. If I believed it, I believed it like they, believed, like they said they believed it. They said, since the Spirit gives us tongues... Fine, we're going to go to the mission field and we're not going to bother spending a year studying languages and that's just exactly what they did. If I believe it, that's what I believe too. Why not? You know, if he's going to give you a language, why not give you one in use? And they went down to foreign places like in South America. They went to other places in the world and they went into those places and they said, all right, we're ready to preach. And they tried to preach, they couldn't. They got all carried away in the service. They gave out all that gibberish and the people didn't know what they were saying. Why? It was not their language. It was not their tongue. We speak of the native tongue. It's English here in America. Our native tongue. Our native language. Now look, as we go on here in these verses here, verse uh, uh, 19, Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. If tongues were given, why desire them? If it takes you 10,000 words in an unknown tongue to say what you can say in five words, why not say five words and say five more and increase the knowledge of everybody and forget about the tongue business? Why not? Do you see what I'm saying today? That the people that get all caught up in the tongue movement are the people that don't study the Bible. They just don't study the Bible. They are ignorant of the Word of God, really. They get all carried away in emotionalism. Emotionalism is sweeping this country today. And you know what it's sweeping this country at the expense of? Emotionalism is sweeping this country at the expense of doctrine. Throw the doctrine out the window. Let's all get together and have a great big time. Well, what are we going to do? Doctrine is just simply the teachings of the things of God. Brethren, be not children in understanding, he tells these folks that said they spoke with tongues. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they will not hear me saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. He's referring back to Acts chapter 2. This sign that was given, but prophesying serveth not for them, 
that believe not, but for them which believe. Verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongue, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelieving, will they not say that ye are mad? It's just what I said. Come in seeing all those people dancing around carrying on. I said, it just looks like to me they're going crazy. Now, verse 24, But if any prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you, you of the truth. Now, we have here, let me read on down through some other verses here, and then we'll close this morning. Um, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. While they come in and say, what are we going to do next? Well, you need to know what you're going to do next. You need to know what comes next. Uh, verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three. This is concession without compromise. He's not compromising the issue. He's saying, let it be by two or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Do it one at a time, let somebody else tell what that one has just said. People that say they believe in tongues do not practice this at all. Nobody interprets, generally. And then if they do, they just get up and say what they said. You have no way of knowing whether they said that or not. Verse 28, But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the altar of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Yes, the rules are given here. If it was done, if it was done at the church of Corinth, Paul says this is the way you've got to do it. He didn't say that's what you ought to do. fact is, you can read through there and find out those people at Corinth have been a lot better off. They just preached the Greek to each other because that was their language. They knew what they were talking about. What had happened here? They wanted to get something that God didn't have for them, and they got in a lot of trouble. Tonight, the Lord will, will make various applications to the, all of these scriptures that I've used. We'll apply that today to what we know as a modern tongues movement. Let us bow for prayer.